to episode number three of the Smorgasbord, the best comic book podcast from Israel, in English, recorded by us. I, I, I think it... Yeah, but, but that's the only way it's correct, I think. I am the all-new and all-dark Tom Shapira, and with me... Hello, whatever knows fear burns at my touch. I'm Sean Edry. Yeah, and this uh, podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Seacourt, the best source for... comic book criticism and reviews online and on your shelves mm-hmm. read their articles buy their books and this month you can buy if you're very very fast and very very smart uh, Patrick Meany's and Eric Zawatsky's Last Born the new mm-hmm. comic book they have from Black Mask and Patrick Meany did um, the Grant Morrison uh, documentary right Talking with God which was very good so you know like give, it, give it a shot yep and I think we're going to jump on straight to the news yeah it's been an interesting week for news a few two weeks uh, we're two weeks right we're bi-weekly. we're bi-monthly bi-weekly yeah, fortnightly <laughs> fortnightly yeah well it, it has been an interesting there have been a, a few interesting events that have come up but I think like the really big talking point that everyone has been sort of obsessing over lately has been the fact that Marvel have finally settled their long-running legal dispute with the Kirby estate state of uh, Jack Kirby Tom what's the general background here like what have they been fighting about all this time well it's uh, about claims of copyright who owns all the characters Kirby created for Mar- is that's the question did he create them for Marvel did he create them while working for Marvel that's the big question mm-hmm. and the Kirby state claimed all those years that no Kirby was the creator he deserves he deserves and thus they deserve part of the rights and therefore part of the money and From stuff like the movie versions of said characters the Hulk Iron Man yep. uh, Thor spider-man for some reason that was the, they, they yeah they actually claimed that he was involved in spider-man because he did some sketches in the beginning that uh, that was very iffy that yeah, was very that's, strange that's but, but I mean like yeah look, Avengers made all the money in the yeah. world so and Marvel claimed no that was a work for hire thing he right. made the characters as part of a contract and he only deserved to get money and For the work that he did as an artist on these things that's it right this has been going on for a while oh, right decades literally yeah. decades I, I mean I just have like this mental image of someone at these at the Disney coming into work and like, I have had enough I don't want to hear that name anymore just open the vault get like a couple of bags of money throw it at them and like just stop already yeah but it's Disney I mean the last thing that one would think is that Disney would give up on a lawsuit because if if they do it you know once it's like opening the floodgates for all the old creators oh. families to come on by and say well we deserve a chunk from the money made but well that's the problem most of the old creators don't have this kind of right cash I mean, yeah it's, like, it's Jack Kirby but I mean there the reaction to the settlements like online has been pretty interesting because I, what happened was this whole dispute sort of took on a life of its own at some point and people like critics and and uh, uh, intellectuals and you know uh, scholars scholars pundits activists you name it have basically attached like all this uh, uh, baggage moral, moral weight yeah like this moral weight of, of you know questions of copyright of you know ethics intellectual property all of that the thing is the moment that this battle became you know ideological I knew that it was due because bottom line here the Kirby's were after a paycheck which I don't begrudge them you know everybody yeah. loves a big cash money wad and it's you know Kirby deserves Kirby. Kirby deserved more than he got from Marvel that's pretty yes how much did they deserve eh, that's that's the, like irrelevant yeah, yeah. it doesn't even matter yeah, but, but it's like they were always like as long as Disney 
would have been willing to meet the Kirby's price, which, I mean, it's Disney. You know, they have, like, the DuckTales vault where Scrooge McDuck goes swimming through the coins and all that. They have, like, money to spare. So it was never going to go to the Supreme Court. It was never going to become, like, you know, the major issue of, you know, copyright and, you know, who owns what and, and, and all of that. It was never going to get that far. And now people are sort of, like, disappointed that the Kirby's settled, as opposed to taking this all the way and getting some kind of legal standing to make sort of general claim, like you said, opening the doors to, to other um, other creators to sort of renegotiate the terms yeah, of their Yeah, the Kirby's have. reached for the ultimate nullifier, and Galactus sort of surrendered, but not but wasn't defeated, so he just skulked off. And he will return for another story. <laughs> that's nice. That's that the anti-climax. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's... But, but like, I don't begrudge the Kirby's. I understand yeah. this feeling of betrayal, because, like, to some extent... All the signal boosting that they got, like uh, uh, from the you know the blogosphere, so to speak, um, was in support not only of them, like they were uh, the, they ide- became, like, the ideal of Kirby rather than yeah. the actual heirs of Kirby. Yeah, they became like this figurehead for all of the problems, and there are problems with copyright law. Absolutely, you know there are issues uh, regard relating to uh, intellectual property that need to be reexamined. It was never going to happen here. The Kirby's wanted money, and they got it. Again, the legal thing is apparently very, very complicated. And, sure. But it seems, you know, according to all the lawsuits that actually went to court, that Marvel were in the right legally. Yeah. And is, I don't you know, think anyone was really and, you know, the, that. The, and the whole point was basically, well, they were right legally, but it wasn't right. And yeah. courts don't often work like that, you know. It's law isn't about justice pure. Right. It's about the approximation of justice that you can get through exactly. via fine details. I, I sort of wish we had the House to Astonish podcast still online so they uh, could discuss it. Oh, they'll be back. I'm sure they'll have something that's, to say. You know, because Paul think, O'Brien is think, a lawyer. Yeah, because yeah. we can both of them are lawyers. We can both agree. I think that's the that's the best comic book podcast. Period. Yeah, we, oh, we oh, aspire to their heights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'll be back. But I mean, the thing that gets me here is that. I, I'm loath to say his name because, you know, the man annoys me on, on such a cosmic level. But John Byrne said, you know, what if Jack Kirby had stayed at Marvel and Stanley had left? How would that have shaken out a, a, with the community? Like, how would they be perceived today? Because there's a lot of, you know, pushback against this idea that, you know, Jack Kirby was entitled to more than he got. Because, like you said, legally speaking, you know, he did the work that he was contracted to do, etc. But it's like, it's Jack Kirby. People still geek out over, you know, like, napkin sketches that they find, like, hidden behind his wife's sofa or something. Well, Kirby did a lot of good work critically after he left Marvel. Uh, Lee? No, you know, Lee had his heyday in the 60s and early 70s, and then people still remember Kirby's work from the 70s, you know, the New Gods and Mr. Miracle and the Demon. What what do people remember from Lee after after the Golden Days? Well, the issue is, like, because Lee is perceived as being, you know, sort of, grandfather marvel so to speak like you know everything flows from him supposedly like that's that's the image that he cultivated right stan lee presents yeah all of this which and i mean he he has cultivated that image over time and and sort of you know deservedly so he i'm not giving him sole credit up to a point up to a point like you know he he deserves just as kirby deserves his dues you know i think stan lee also deserves credit for everything that has come since 1963 but, you know, it's just, it's it's this whole really messy, I mean, this stuff is older than I am, and to an extent, I'm just the like... The I think is older than <laughs> we are. Yeah, and it's like, you know what, it's over now. 
people are going to be disappointed that it did not lead to sort of the, the revolution that they were anticipating. But, you know, since they started that whole discussion by saying that they wanted the Kirby's to get their due, well, the Kirby's have supposedly gotten their due because they wouldn't have accepted a settlement if it wasn't, like, you know, ka-ching! Yeah. And, and really, who doesn't love a check? Right? I mean, <laughs> who doesn't love it? I prefer cash, but... Well, know. cash, you know, just ch- charge it to our... But yeah, I mean, so they, they have their dues, and, and, you know, well done to them. Uh, uh, what happens next? The next big lawsuit? We'll see. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are other creators who are... Steve Gerber, uh, I think it's... No, Steve Gerber, hers? I... I don't know. Who, I... Who's the one that, that's... Um, the Ghost, Ghost Rider. Rider? Yeah, that wasn't the, Gerber. No, that was... no, 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 that was... Friedrich. Gary Friedrich. Yes. Uh, Although yeah. really, you know, he wants a piece of the uh, the Ghost Rider film profit. You're well, welcome to have it. <laughs> Look, that guy really <laughs> what that guy. The thing is, that guy really lived in you know poor state. Yeah, and I get that. I mean, like, look, people who contributed so much to the the pop culture phenomenon that is Marvel today should have better conditions. Like, you know, th- that yes, that's phenomenon, not legal. Money making the machine. That's not legal. That's just being, you don't kill the goose that lays the golden eggs. And right. that's what Marvel did and still do for a long time. You know, how much money can you squeeze from that guy, girl, whatever? Yeah. Okay, we did it. Throw him outside. You know? Well, it was not a lot to, easier for them to, to, to pull it off when, you know, the eyes of the world weren't yeah, on Yeah, but I think but... Heidi McDonald from The Beat had mm. a point a few years back about... Think if people in the publishing industry treated uh, J.K. Rowling the same way Marvel and DC mm, treated their yeah. big creators. You know, it's like, oh, wow, that book made a lot of money. Whoosh, thrown away. Not, you know, let's think about the new books. Let's think about what she'll do next, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's not just bad morals. It's bad business sense. You know? Well, it's bad. I mean, it's bad business sense in the sense that, you know, you, you need to have some kind of long-term plan for you not to screw over your creators. I mean, you know, Marvel, 1960s, the, 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 the way that it's presented, I don't know if there's any accuracy in it, but, like, they were basically living hand-to-mouth. Like, they, uh, you know, the whole story of Amazing Fantasy 15 being the final issue, right? Yeah. It could have failed, and we would not have had Spider-Man. So, it's like, I, I, I sort of, I can sort of excuse them for being short-sighted, because they didn't know that, like, it would go that far. But, like, it's, it's, it's a new day, you know, we're, we're in the 21st century now. Yeah, but, you know, a lot of things at the time weren't just short-sightedness. They were just playing being oh, jerk, yeah. you know, stealing yeah. the Kirby artwork and such. You yeah, know, that was, you know... Putting off creators without warning. Yeah. And, you know... There's a lot of low You can read Marvel there. Comics, The Untold Story, which came out two years ago, I think, which sure. chronicles the whole history uncensored. It's, you know, a very stark... You know, look into. Yeah, I mean, they they did some pretty crummy things. I don't, yeah, I don't think still there's do defending some. them. And still do some. Crummy well, now things. they're owned by Disney, so it's a question. Of, I mean, like, it, I think it's significant that who like, does you know, the crummy things? Well, I mean, Disney, the mouse or the spider, the mouse overlord, right? I, I mean, it, it, it's sort of interesting that the that the lawsuit has concluded now, right? Like, Marvel stretched it out for for decades and decades, and like, here comes Disney, and they're like, you know, they want money. Here is your money. Take all the money. Just leave us alone. And, um, I don't know. Because, like, they have it to spare. You know, Marvel probably could have made the argument that, like, you know, we don't have $80 million uh, stashed away under our blankets. But, you know, Disney's like, you know, I use that to floss my teeth. I don't, I don't know. Well, if you so, want to talk about corporate uh, conundrums. Oh, yeah. Well, 
I use Canonymous because it's a PG-13 uh, yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's, that's a nice way of saying, <laughs> oh my god, are you kidding okay, me? So what's the next news item? <sighs> okay, here we go. Disney, oh, Disney. Warner Brothers. <laughs> Warner, Warner Brothers, Brothers yes. released uh, uh, two licensed t-shirts. <sighs> the first of which... Was a reworked panel from Superman Wonder Woman? A, no, no, no. It was a uh, cover Jeff from a, a Justice League cover yeah. in which uh, uh, you know Superman and Wonder Woman are sort of about to kiss. Yeah. And she has him tied up in a lasso, her lasso. You know? So like the implication is you know she has yeah. grabbed him. So the t-shirt digitally removes the lasso. Keeping on their strange hand pose because now she's holding on to yeah. nothing with her left it, hand or something. Well, like, that's the weirdest thing about the t-shirt, right? So the weirdest thing is the caption that reads, like, you know, Superman scores again or something like that. It was just like, no, 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 that's, no, no. That's an official shirt. The DC Appro- license. Approved by, you know, a couple of executives. Yeah. And the other one, the other shirt that got the picture was even worse Yeah. It was just the Batman logo, women's size t-shirt saying, training to be Batman's wife. Right, because Batman the word, has had such a successful with life. With the word wife in a different logo, so it's like, <sighs> you, you can sort of tell there was a guy's t-shirt saying, training to be Batman, and then someone simply added, you know, yeah. lazily wife, wife for the women's shirt. That's just... Okay. You know, when I first saw that, I was convinced it was a parody. I thought it was an onion it, I thought it was an onion thing because training to be Batman's wife that's not even a misunderstanding of how culture works and you know women's no. issues and gender issues it's, it's, it's just stupid it's it's I mean what's, what's the, no what's the point of the shirt what What is trying to be Batman's wife mean dying beautifully um, no he's not Daredevil <laughs> he never get he never gets with anyone ever well I mean look my Here's the thing, like, I see, like, both sides here, but, like, that doesn't acknowledge the problem. Like, okay, Dan DiDio is not sitting somewhere greenlighting every bit of merchandise that DC or Warner Brothers yeah. are releasing in relation to, like, the properties that he oversees, right? Okay, I'm willing to accept the, the idea that DC, as we recognize them, right, like, you know, the publishing uh, 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 entity... Uh, entity did not approve these uh, uh, shirts. And in fact... He was not aware of them. Yeah, and in fact, they released a a, a statement shortly afterwards saying, you know, like, we agree with the criticism. No bueno. Yeah, it's it's like the Watchmen toaster. Yeah. Which wasn't by them. It was by the... (laughs) (laughs) Watchmen toaster. (laughs) What? It made very dark toast. But here's the thing, though. Someone, somewhere, approved of these shirts, right? Yeah. Approved of... Yanking DC back into the mire of stupidity that they have been trying to crawl out of for years now. And now they're back in national headlines again saying, see, they're still doing the thing. Like, they keep saying, we're going to stop doing the thing, and they're still doing the but thing. But they're not doing the thing. Someone has done the thing yeah. in their name. But, well, go, go explain that to, like, you know, the general public, right? It's still reinforcing well, that. That's that why idea. we're here. The general public listen to us. Yeah. For once, uh-huh. it's not... We will tell you the truth. No, but really. I mean, it's... As far as we know, it's not their fault. I mean, they didn't approve of it. They weren't aware of it. Once, However... Once word came about, they retracted it. Yeah. However, whoever approved these shirts has got to go. 
Whoever you designed design DC because it's a lazy design. No, listen, the design, <laughs> the design is like, okay, look, I'm sure that DC gets a, a thousand crappy proposals a month. That doesn't obligate them to, to greenlight any of them, right? The problem isn't with the person who made the shirt because that's like a whole other subject. It's who approved the shirt, right? Who said, yeah, sure, this is exactly the kind of message we want to go. These are the people who have to be removed immediately because they're the ones who keep like, pushing DC back into the mud, right? They're, they're, they keep, they're not even official, like, uh, officially part of, of DC as a publishing entity, and yet, you know, they're the ones who are causing the problem. It's like that Mary Jane statue from a, a couple of years back, which is doing the laundry, yeah. and like her... But that was Marvel approved, I think. That it was? Well, I don't know, like, if... It was I, an official again, Marvel artist. Yeah, but I, again, like, I doubt that Joe Quesada was sitting, although, you know, you look at One More Day, clearly he was not a Mary Jane fan, but, I mean, you, you look at... at it's not like, you know, they were, like, uh, rubber stamping everything. So whoever put this through is part of the problem. And they gotta go. Because I, I looked at these t-shirts and, you know, my first reaction, Lemon Grab from Adventure Time. This is unacceptable! You know? I, I, I can't. Like, it, it's the same crap. And this is right after the Spider-Woman, you know, thing. How can you still be making the same mistakes and like they're bo- they're rival companies? They should be learning from each other's mistakes, right? And it's still happening. So there needs to be like some kind of tighter quality control at Warner Brothers because again, like the, the, it's not even the fact that the t-shirts came out; it's the fact that it made headlines. It's like this is the kind of attention that DC does not need. Setting aside all their other problems, it's like you know th- why would you? Keep promoting that idea after the whole Milo Manara thing. Why would you go back and like now again with the you know, women, be wives, you know, Wonder Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, who I mean they edited the image so that it, the the meaning is reversed and he's the one who's grabbing her and it's like no that's that's not that's not even what happened. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a better representation of Superman. Superman would not do that. Sir. <sighs> I'm insulted on behalf well, of that fictional New, character. New 52 Superman might do that. I don't know. There, there's some weirdness with that character that I do not want to get into, but, I mean, not Superman, you, uh, we know. Something less said? <sighs> well, less said and more, more amusing, I guess. Uh, um, Gotham made its debut. Oh, that's the TV show. The yeah. TV show, yeah. Well, I say Gotham has made its debut. The city now exists. <laughs> In the real world. Google map it, let's go there, but like, don't more, stay until nighttime. What Morrison had worked for for, fa- for dozens yeah. of years, you know, <laughs> bringing, bringing the fictional into the real. It has happened. Yeah. Gotham the, is real. The thought experiment worked. He wanted Gorilla City, he got Gotham. Close and, enough. Yes. Um, so you didn't see... You're not watching the show. No. Okay, I... I wanted to keep, I'm keeping an open mind for all of the CW, like, DC adaptations on the outside chance that maybe one of them will work out. You never know. But, um, I watched the first episode, uh, I watched the first episode of this show, and there are some serious problems here that have to do entirely with adaptation. Because, you know, this is, right, it's the, when you look at like the comparison of what the show is doing versus what the show should have been doing, there's this huge disparity. Because, you know, you have Ben McKenzie as Jim Gordon, right? He's okay. Donna Logue as, as Harvey Bullock, pretty good. Uh, surprisingly, the star of this show is Jada Pinkett Smith as Fish Mooney. I'm that's not, that's the name of a character. That is the name. Well, listen. The, that's not like a... We're talking super, the bad books here. We're not, it's not like a supervillain, you know, phone name, a.k.a. No, that's, that's her actual name. Uh, but, I mean, again, like, we're talking the bad books here. Killer Orca. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, that is a thing that's real. Okay. So, um... Are you saying that she's going to be the future killer orca? God, I hope not. You know, fish orca. There are some things that man was not meant to try. But, um... So, anyway, Gotham. Here's the thing. This show is caught in, like, a very, very weird paradox. Where, on the one hand, you know, the the... The, the crime that Jim Gordon has to solve in the first season is the murder of the Waynes. That was their first mistake. Like, we have seen the Waynes die so many damn times by now that, like, you know, the Pearls and, you know, the, the, the theater and Crime Alley, it's like every single... If you are watching Gotham in the first place, you know how the Waynes died, right? Like, everybody knows that by now. It's like, yeah. you know... You remember uh, first page of All-Star Superman number one? Yeah. Krypton. Planet. Kansas, gone. That's it. Like, no more. You do not need to go through the whole thing again. And so that was, like, their first mistake. Like, Batman is, well, Bruce Wayne is, like, eight years old, right? And now, he's eight years old, so it's not his story, right? This is not a Batman story. This is a story that is about Gotham City. You could tell a great story about Gotham City. You don't need Batman for that, yeah. right? Like, there, I mean, as a setting... It is so rich and so full of possibilities. There were a lot of comic book stories about Gotham or, you know, the people in Gotham that didn't involve Batman. You know, sure. everybody used uh, Gotham Central, you know, when they yeah. first talked about the show. Say, oh, that's a great idea. A cop show in the Batman universe without Batman. Gotham yeah. Central is great. Although, see, not exactly. This is the thing. Gotham Central did not feature Batman directly. Yeah. But, but it was the Gotham that was influenced by the presence of Batman. Yeah. What I'm saying is, there's a lot of narrative possibility in the idea of what was Gotham like before Batman even came onto the scene, right? Who were these gangs that were running around? Like, were, were there, like, threats that Batman never even confronted that were dealt with but, 20 years but ago? But even that problematic, because either you're going with the classic, it was a hellhole, and therefore everything that the characters do before Batman is not important because they're going to fail in elevating the city even one bit mm-hmm. until, you know, he comes on at the last episode of the last season saving the day. Right. Or you start doing, trying and do, making it complicated and, you know, giving the gang sympathy, in which case, you know, Batman comes up and heads no, I, I mean, the protagonist of this series is Jim Gordon. So, like, the, if the idea is to present him as, you know, how he became, you know, the tough commissioner that we recognize today as, like, you know, Commissioner Gordon... That's fine. But the problem is that they're leaning... at Like, while they are explicitly taking Batman out of the picture, because he's only eight years old here, and he's not like, you know, the Waynes have just been murdered. He hasn't even started on his path yet. The flip side of that is, you know, we have uh, a, a foreshadowing of the Riddler, and we have the Penguin. As two villains who, like, you know, you are expecting me to believe that these guys were running around for 15, 20 years before Batman even showed up. I mean, they're, they're probably... Hell, they might end up doing the Joker. And that would just be the most absurd well, if, thing. If you're using Smallville as, a, as an example, you know, <laughs> they're going to do everything. Because by the end of Smallville... <sighs> he fought Darkseid. There was the Justice League and Darkseid and Supergirl and Superboy. And there was no Superman. Right, that was... Listen, that was the most absurd... There was Doomsday before there was Superman. So by the end... So if we use Doomsday. that as a goalpost by the end of... By the end of uh, the... Fourth season of Gotham, you're gonna have the Joker and Bad Girl and Robin and, and Harley Quinn and, and Jason Todd and, and Damian Wayne. You're gonna have Batman Incorporated without Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. You know, it, it could have worked out so simply, but they are too tied to the idea of you know. It's like you you do a Batman prequel 
and yet you still feel obligated for it to be about Batman, despite the fact that it's not about Batman, and it's just like this this loop, you know, this logic loop that goes over and over again. So, no Batman, but there's Penguin. So there's no Batman, but, like, you know, Jim Gordon's here, and then... I mean, why not just do, you know... Because, like, Batman begins before, like, he actually starts running around. So you have, like, these, these crime gangs running around, like Maroni, and they could have done the Black Skull. Like, they could have done all the villains that don't usually show up in Batman adaptations because they're C-list or D-list, right? And let them, like, let Gordon deal with them so then when Batman comes on, he can deal with, like, the real problems. And instead, it's just this huge mess that does not appeal to anybody, really. I, I, I can't find any redeeming okay. values. Anything else on the, um, on the news? Well, now, here's a spot of hope for viewers. The Deadpool film has been greenlighted. That's a spot of hope tempered with wariness, because is it going to be that guy? What guy? The guy who everybody wants to be Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds? Yeah. I don't know. They, they haven't actually made any casting announcements. Yeah, so. because everybody talks about Ryan Reynolds, and I don't keep thinking, not to his fault, he has a bad record with comic book movies. Whenever yeah. he's in a comic book movie, it tanks. He was in Blade yeah. Trinity, mm-hmm. which tanked. And he was in Green Lantern. Which tanked, and he was in R.I.P.D. and he was in X Men Origins Wolverine, which tanked. That's four comic book adaptations. Yeah, tanking. Let me ask you this though: Imagine for a moment that someone else had played Hal Jordan besides Ryan Reynolds, and everything else about the movie was the same. Well, maybe if it was someone else, it would have been a different movie. We don't know. No, no, no. I mean, like, no. Ideally, I, the script absolute. exists. The, uh, no, but I mean, look, the script exists independently of who's playing it, right? So, like, imagine this for a second. Like, you have Green Lantern, right? Green Lantern was atrocious in general. But, like, okay, let's say it wasn't Ryan Reynolds. Let's say it was Ryan Gosling. I'm, I'm throwing that out there okay. as sort of like, whatever, right? Someone else All the Ryan Hal Jordan. to you. Sure, you know, well, I can't tell the difference between them anyway. But, I mean, would that have changed the film? Was the main problem with the film Ryan Reynolds? No. No. And it's like, I, I mean, I didn't see R.I.P.D., but I did see uh, uh, Blade Trinity. And it's like, you know, that movie had issues besides Ryan Reynolds. It had lots of issues. And I mean, God. It had I, all of the issues. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah. The only, To my memory, the only thing that, the only nice thing anyone ever said about it is that in the first scene of the movie when, like, uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds is playing, like, the human Wade Wilson, he's great. Yeah, but I'm sorry, that guy's like the anti-Chris Evans, because Chris Evans was in a lot of comic book movies, which yeah. were good. Yeah. Aside from uh He picks Fantastic really lousy Four. projects. You aside know. from Fantastic Four. Yeah. You know, Chris you Evans know. was a Snowpiercer, he did and in The Loser. Well, Snowpiercer did not impress me either. But, and you know. Scott Pilgrim, yeah. and then Captain America and the Avengers. So, yeah. they're like, you know, Earth 2 versions of one <laughs> another. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, he, he doesn't have a great track record when it comes to choosing projects, but... I think the main issue here is that like those projects sucked for reasons that were not necessarily involving him. Like, you know, Green Lantern could have done a lot differently. Okay, so let's talk about the Deadpool, Deadpool. movie. You saw the test footage? Yeah, there was a test footage online for, uh, what was it, like five minutes action? Something like that. It was amazing. It, the, was, it was what I wanted from a Deadpool movie. Yeah, that, that's basically the Deadpool movie people want. Yeah. And that's the it's other cartoonish thing. violence yeah. And, yeah. and humor and, and not like being grimdark. And, and, and that's the other thing that makes me a bit worried because I'm kind of tired of Deadpool right now. Right. Marvel Comics has done fine work of making me 
very tired of Deadpool. And I'm not reading it, just reading the previews and seeing, you know, every yeah. month there's like, there's the Deadpool ongoing, there's the Deadpool, there's always a Deadpool special of some sort, yeah. an annual, a biannual, Team a one-shot. Yeah. And there's always at least one miniseries, sometimes two, running at the same time. So you have like six Deadpool titles a month, and they're all the same. The, there was this conception of Deadpool that Joe Kelly had, which yes. tempered the comedy with tragedy. Yeah. And, I mean, but, and the modern version is basically, it's cartoon physics. It's yeah. homicidal Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. I and, don't, I don't, okay, I mean, like, I would agree and that, that he's... And I can take it in small doses, yeah. but I don't think I could see a whole movie like this because it's, by definition, consequenceless. You know, there's, he gets hit, but it doesn't knock him down because he can heal and right. he makes random jokes and he can't have an arc because his arc as this version of the character is, he's an insane comedy character. Right. And, you know, whenever I see him right now on screen, because they always put him on the TV adaptations of their thing, you know, the Ultimate Spider-Man right. or whatever. Oh, he was, I mean, you have to admit that he was funny in yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man. No, well, I, didn't, I don't like the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. Neither do but I, that's, but I mean, I saw that episode and it was... I got just, tired of him, like, after five yeah. minutes, and that episode was 20 minutes, and that <laughs> movie's gonna be at least an hour and a half, yeah. and I'm like... I, don't, I think, don't think I can take it. I don't think there's any question that he's overexposed. I mean, you brought up the Joe Kelly run, and like one of the reasons that the Joe Kelly run works is that it tries to give him a bit an of arc. depth. There like, was the arc, and, and he had like really great supporting cast, right? Yeah. Blind Al and and all of those really great characters. Um, modern, like modern, I say, you know, post Daniel Way, post Daniel, uh, Daniel, Daniel uh, Way's uh, uh, look, whether we like it or not, Daniel's Way version is the popular one. It's the one that everybody likes. I would have preferred if it had been, like, you know, Gail Simone's version that, that survived. But anyway. That was, like, four issues. I know. You can't do I a lot. But, that. I mean, you know, she... But this is the thing. So, like, the the whole um, concept of Deadpool is being overexposed and sort of, like, cartoonish and, and um, you know, the whole concept of Deadpool is being, you know, cartoonish and overexposed. I get it. It, it comes down to me whether you're able to sort of see this movie at a distance and, like, not carry with it all the baggage of, you know, Deadpool and 50,000 comics. And, I mean, they have been really taking him to sort of extreme uh, 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 cartoonish behavior, which I don't think the film will necessarily do because, I mean, they do need to stay grounded on, like, some kind of... on some level, right? It, it is Sony, after all. They're not... The, or Fox, sorry. It's Fox. Uh, that's the X-Men, so it's Fox. It's Fox. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, Fox... What, like, the only thing anybody knows about the new Fantastic Four movie that's coming is that it's going to be quote-unquote grounded. So, uh, I, I, they don't strike me as the type to, like, go all the way in and then, like, take Deadpool to the most ridiculous extreme, especially since he doesn't have anybody to play off of in the movie. Well, we don't know. Now, it, Wolverine is not going to show up in this movie. Well, I mean, like, there, there are certain... This is the thing, like, the Dead, Deadpool, Deadpool reaches yeah, what, his most... What are the Deadpool, you know, villains? What are you going to put him against? T-Ray? In the Bob, movie? The, the AIM agent? I don't know. Well, no, oh, no, T-Ray because would be great, No, though. because it can't... They can because AIM is probably Marvel. No, that's hot drum. But, but Has anybody Marvel actually... Oh, crap, no. AIM was in Iron Man 3. See? So, yeah, okay. That, so, well, okay. Um, but because, I, because Deadpool started off as an X-Men character, but... We most, don't talk about the Rob Liefeld days. No, but so let's most, not go there. Yeah, but the thing <laughs> is, most of the stuff that's happened to him that's interesting is mo- wider Marvel Universe stuff. Yeah. And that's Marvel. Well, it's not only that. That's it, Marvel it's and Disney. That his, his, I mean, okay, you didn't play the game, right? There's the Deadpool no. game. Okay. I did. 
It's very funny, very amusing. Uh, he motorboats Cable for absolutely no reason because like it's it's Cable like in the Lee Felt version with like the huge uh, packs and and he's like uh, Deadpool uh, hallucinates that it's his number one fan, so she has like enormous breasts and she's jumping around with like a sign going "I love DP." And uh, he runs at her and like motorboats, and then it turns out to be Cable. And and the player has the option of like you know do you want to keep motorboating him or do you want to and if you do he punches a dead pull out but it's like that's it's it's a very very funny game but it's a funny game because he has the ability to sort of bounce off you know Rogue and Wolverine and he makes fun of Psylocke and he you know he he in his current form he's most effective when he's a commentary on. Other Marvel characters like that 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 Deadpool uh, Hawkeye team up yeah. is very amusing, but it's very amusing because like you know you're you're contrasting the two. Deadpool on his own probably won't be that extreme because he doesn't really have the the quote unquote straight guy to, to bounce off of. You know, it would be interesting if Fox could get Cable. They could. Would they could, want to? I mean, listen, Cable and Deadpool was like, you know, the classic uh, buddy duo, right? For, yeah. for a certain point there. Because he's like the super serious guy. And uh, I'm, I'm going to refer to the game again. I mean, like, look it up on YouTube. There's a scene where, like, you know, Cable shows up from the future to exposit. And Deadpool's just standing there like, so boring. And he's riding, like, this little toy horse. And he's like, I can't take that's it definitely, That's definitely Deadpool humor. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's the level of humor that people, I think, expect from Deadpool now. The question is whether they can do it, like, if Deadpool Probably. is divorced from any other context. Which I guess we'll see. Yeah. One final note. Okay. Yes. University of Baltimore has uh, decided to offer a film course to its students in which... They will be examining the Marvel Universe. Film Universe. The, you know, you know yeah. the Marvel movies from Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy. And I just want to say, I did it first! Ha 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 Yeah, Sean, yes. uh, Sean teaches at the Tel Aviv University. And... I do. And last year, I was fortunate enough to teach a class on uh, superheroes and American mythology, at the end of which we did take sort of a, an necessarily abbreviated look at, at the Marvel uh, film universe and how these films interconnect and, and how continuity is established. I mean, point of pride is, is I got it first. But on, on a more uh, serious note, I mean, I don't... Query. Yeah. How many lessons did you give to Modoc? Five? Modoc. Yeah, five, six? One. I know. There's like a course... There's, yeah, there's I don't a course want to talk about it anymore. You know, we could talk about Modoc all day. Yeah. But I mean... One one course for every letter. Oh God! It's like just the design. Yeah. And this is you got to talk about Ms. Modoc then. Modem. Modem. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, there you go. But I mean, the the, the announcement sort of drew the usual guffaws because people still consider comics to be. Uh, oh, oh, oh. You know, they're making they're a course making about comic comics? movies. Great! Let's do a course about the Kardashians. <laughs> but it's like no, because they said the same thing about westerns. Not true, but I mean, the, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe does deserve some academic scrutiny simply because there's nothing else really that's like it. You know, the, the idea of a handful of films, like there are about like a dozen films by now, right? Yeah. 10, 12, something like that. Different genres, because Guardians of the Galaxy is a very different movie from The Winter Soldier. And that's a very different movie from uh, Iron Man 3. Not very different. Gen- it's not generically. Okay. You have, like, you know, space opera, you have political thriller, you have World War II movie. You and you have, have the Hulk. You have the Hulk. That, that's the genre. I, I'm, I am so alone 
in in my appreciation of the Incredible Hulk, uh, Edward Morton's. Uh, I love the Incredible. I, I liked it. It was too, the Hulk but... movie you wanted to see, in which yeah. the Hulk punches things. It was a minority opinion, but like I really liked it. I, I didn't have a problem with it. I will admit that um, nobody likes Hulk. the new guy. Uh, oh, why am I blanking out on his name? Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, is is a, a better banner. Is a better, better banner, and you know I, the CGI team is a better Hulk. You yeah, were saying. <laughs> you know, but I mean he's much better uh, Bruce Banner, so I'm okay with that. But like. There, there are things to discuss, like in a, in a scholarly uh, context, when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, the question is: Is, is it going to be an actual discussion? Is going to be fawning all over? You know, Marvel approved. Uh, I, I, we loved it because there are problematic things to discuss sure. about the movies. It's not just problematic, though. I mean, from from a film, I'm not a film student, right? But I could say, like, as a literature student, I can say that one of the things that interests me about the cinematic universe is precisely the fact that these films interconnect in ways that are, on the one hand, unexpected, because, you know, you look at Thor, you would not have, you would not assume that Thor has any connection at all to the Marvel Universe, right? It's Asgard, it's mythology, it's this really weird aesthetic design, right? The giant helmets and, and, and all of that. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a completely different feel. And yet, you know, there will be a film in which Thor, Loki, Iron Man, and Black Widow are standing in the same space, right? They're, they're inhabiting the same fictional world. That's something that's worth, uh, you know, a little research. I, I, I applaud this move. Um, there will be people who attend this class thinking it's like, you know... Easy uh, points. Easy points, you know, geek Men, culture. Let's talk about whether or not... The, making our deduct jokes. Yeah, like should Hulk have been able to pick up Thor's hammer and who really would have won in that fight? Look, but the, the Howard deduct thing is, is important because... Oh, okay. no, no, look, I'm sorry, it's important because... That, I that, saw the movie! Don't it, bring it back! Because it technically means that after Disney bought Lucasfilm, their first Lucas product that they did was not Star Wars, was not Indiana Jones... It was Howard the Duck. I don't know if a five-second cameo counts. As I'm sorry, that yeah, counts. No, it doesn't. I mean, is anyone under... And it was vo- and he was voiced Mar- by Seth Green. Disney bought Marvel, and then they bought Lucasfilm. Yeah. Obviously, that was the move all along. Well, you know... Disney, they were angling for Howard the Duck remake. I don't know. I just think, like... I, I doubt they pre-planned it that way just because, like, Disney's acquisitions just remind me of, like, you know, on Star Trek they had the, you know, We Are the Borg. You will be assimilated. They remind me of a villain from a comics we'll review later on. Ah, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm in favor of this course. Uh, wish I could attend it. But, um, you know, I got there first. So, haha. We'll go on to the reviews? Yes. And shall we start with Marvel? Um, sure. Thor number one. Uh, Jason Aaron and Russell Dodderman. Yeah. The book that was so important, they announced it on The View. Did they? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Goldberg. I, I, don't, I don't view The View, so... Well, you know, I mean... I'm aware of its existence. Okay, so let's let's just do a little background here, because I think, like, our, our perception of this comic was very heavily tainted by the fact that we both knew, going into it, we both expected yeah. something. Yeah. And we didn't get what we were expecting. Yeah. So let, let's start with that. Like, this, uh, this comic was promoted... Uh, a couple of months before it came out, with the announcement that there would be a new Thor. That because of events uh, in Original Sin, the latest Marvel movie event, event whatever, like, just like you know, just it, thinking about it makes me tired. But um, a, a, as a result of that, uh, Thor can no longer wield Mew Mew. Mjolnir. 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 Yeah. Uh, the hammer. 
And uh, there will be a new uh, a wielder of the hammer. And uh, it's a woman. He's going to be a she. Yeah. He will be a she, you know. Who, the, the, there's actually, like, they made a big point of mentioning this, but uh, it actually appears in the comic, right? You know, uh, uh, if she be worthy is the yeah. new inscription. Which makes no sense because the hammer should have, you know, the word should be written, I don't know, ancient Norwegian or yeah. Scardian script. And I don't think they have the he, she, you know, just add one letter and change right. the whole thing. Or it could have just been, you know, if they be worthy. Or, I don't know. You know, Odin Odin learned English, so he, he speaks <laughs> originally in the Hammer. Yeah. He, he was English's second language. But, I mean, so so this announcement made a huge splash because, it was, first of all, it was timed with a few other reveals, right? The Superior Iron Man and... Um, All-new Captain America. Right. Uh, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, is the new Captain America. So there was sort of this attempt to project the idea that, uh, you know, we're heading towards a sort of new age, Right, the, these main characters, especially in, in the post, you know, in post film uh, uh, comics, uh, are very recognizable. Uh, Sam Wilson, in particular, you know, people know him from the movie. Right, he was the Falcon. So um, the announcement that there's a new Thor uh, was met with, you know, the usual controversy. You know, the neck beards came out, and uh, and we will get into that in detail because there's a letter at the end of this issue that I want to talk about. Okay, but. Um, so, you know, uh, oh no, Thor's a woman. The other one is like, you know, cool, Thor's a woman, let's go for it. The comic doesn't quite... Oh, oh, and Jason Aaron, of course, made that uh, legendary uh, Twitter comment that, you know, this is not Thora, this is not She-Thor, this is not Thorita. Because they already she have... Thor. Because they already have a character called Thor-Girl in right. Marvel. And Lady Thor, I'm sure. But, yeah. I mean... So, the, the, for the purposes okay, of that's, this that's the things she is Thor. That's the things around. In the actual comic, yes. the plot is... Uh, so we start off with the aftermath of Original Sin, right? I assume it's the aftermath. I have not I read, read it either. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, no, there's a recap page. Okay. So, you know, it's like, basically what happens, and I, I, I don't buy this premise at all, but basically what happens is that Nick Fury uh, found something out from the Watcher, whispers it into Thor's ear... And he is no longer worthy to pick up the hammer. Why? We don't know. He whispered to him the results of the Kirby lawsuit. <gasps> that would have done it. That's a, if Gary Wilson were writing that comic, that would have that's, that's what would have happened. That that's been the like, reveal, you know. Jack Kirby. No. You're owned by Jack Kirby now. Right. And in the meantime, uh, frost giants are invading the Earth, as they do. The sea. They're attacking under the sea. Oh, they're, well, I mean, the implication is that they'll be coming up soon enough. Yeah. And, uh, oh, also something that, like, again, I'm, I'm coming into this comic having not read anything, you know, Thor-related in, in recent years, Odin is back. That's yeah. treated as, like, this huge thing where uh, there's been a period of time um, since that, Journey of the Mystery, I think. That Asgard was run by Freya, the All-Mother, instead yeah, of Odin. Yeah, the All-Mother, three women, like, yeah. three women, three goddesses operating as the All-Mother under Freya, Odin's wife. Yeah. Now Odin's back. He's like, okay, back to uh, you know, back to the status quo. And she's like, hell no, she's not having that. And uh, I actually like that friction a little bit. Yeah. You know, that idea of you know he's coming back to sort of reinstitute the old Asgard, the and old she's guard. Like, she's like, I was running things, and we were just fine before you showed up. So I don't even you know I don't need this nonsense anymore. And at the end of the issue, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but basically Thor you know gives up on Mjolnir. Goes get he goes and gets himself another weapon. And he undergoes a certain drastic transformation that, on the surface of it, seems to take him out of play. Right? He goes up against um, the uh, Frost Malekith Giants, and the Frost led Giants, led by uh, Malekith the Dark Elf, because mm -hmm. he was in the movie, so 
he has to be in the comics now. Well, I mean, he's a canonical villain. Yeah. You know, he, he's been in the Thor comics before. So, you know, okay, all of that is, is fine. Uh, we get to the last uh, page. Well, no, the, the page before the last one is, you know, we cut back to the moon where Mjolnir is still waiting, and then somebody picks it up, and the inscription on the hammer changes from, you know, if he be worthy to if she be worthy. And the comic ends with a splash page of the new Thor. That's not an end for a comic called number one. No. That's an end for issue zero, or mm-hmm. better off because issue zero is always a bad idea. Yeah. That's an end for Thor number 26, or whatever it was supposed to be, which launches the new series. Yeah. What you basically here have here is very well done setup, mm-hmm. which doesn't work because it's an issue number one, and you end up with your main character introduced as a, in a single splash page at the end yeah. of an issue. That's a bad idea. I have mixed feelings about that, because... As a concept, it's a bad idea. As an execution, I think it works well. As well as that idea can work. Right. I mean, conceptually, I, I have mixed feelings about it, because if the idea is to do... I mean, okay, the, the fact of the matter is that we, are not in, we will not be introduced to the new Thor until issue two. Which, given that this issue, number one, was promoted as being the introduction of the new Thor, it does seem... It, it's a weird choice. If, the, if Aaron's idea here is to sort of draw a line under everything that we acknowledge as being, you know, the Thor mythology up until this point, and be like, okay, all of this stuff is over now, and we're starting something new. I can almost sort of, like, on the one hand, I can almost accept that. But on the other hand, you know, the fact that she doesn't say anything, like, she doesn't even have any lines. Unless she's the one who says there must we don't, Yeah, we don't, we don't know who she is. We don't know who she is. I have a theory that uh, uh, she may be Freya. Because, like, Freya is... One of the things that Aaron foreshadows in the beginning of the issue is, you know, Freya is very dissatisfied with the idea that, you know, Odin is back, and he's blustering, and he's taking over, and he's, like, basically trying to send her back to the kitchen, as it were. She's not happy about that. No. And it's also implied that, like, she has enough knowledge of magic to sort of tweak Mjolnir to the sense that even Odin can't pick it up. And he was the one who created it. So my theory, like, it might be, it could just as easily be Freya as anybody else. I actually hope it is, because one of my favorite scenes in The Dark World is when the Queen of Asgard, you know, she whoops Malekith like he's a racehorse. So, for, I mean, it only lasts 30 seconds, but that was a great 30 seconds. Uh, so I'd be okay with that. But, I mean, like, I can accept it if the idea is, you know, the, the era of Thor is over. Except that it's not. Because we already know from solicitations that the old Thor is still around. We all, we all know that he'll come back. Uh, I, I mean, look, but this is, the, like, this goes to the core of my, my conflict with this issue, this issue. Yes, of course he'll come back. You know, Chris Hemsworth is super popular as Thor. They're doing Thor 3. They replaced Thor before. You know, there yeah. was Thunderstrike and there mm-hmm. was Better Ray Bill. You know, Thor is a girl is not strange. Thor is a cyborg space horse is right. kind of strange. You know, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Like, Did you read the letter at the end of the issue? Uh, no. Should okay. I? Well, yes, I'll you read should. it while you speak. I'll listen <laughs> It's hilarious. It. But, I mean, before I get to that, I just want to say, like, I, I'm... Like I said, I, I'm okay with the idea that the first issue sort of draws Thor's story to a close, despite the fact that we know that it doesn't. Because not only... It's not just, the, you know, like we talked about last time, the, the the fact that death doesn't really hold any meaning anymore. 
We talked about that. But here it's more the, the idea that, you know, Thor will continue to appear in comics while his female counterpart is running around with Mjolnir. So she's not a legacy character. She's not someone who has inherited his mantle. She's just running around calling herself Thor, despite the fact that the person we all recognize as Thor is still there. If he had died, it would have been something well, else. Well, in the Marvel Universe, it's problematic because the character started off as, you know, just some guy, some Earth guy, you right. know, wielding the power of Thor. Right. So you had, you know, it's not like that in the mythology. But and who it, talks about and, Donald Blake Yeah, anymore. and it, no, it evolves nothing like that. But yeah. technically speaking, you know, in the Marvel Universe... Thor is just a mantle, you know. It's just, you it, know, that it could have been, it could have been anybody worthy finding that hammer in that cave. And I don't know. That doesn't strike me as true because you you can, you know, maybe he'll present that. Well, but look at like, okay, look at Aaron's run so far, right? When you look at Thor, God of Thunder, he does not treat Thor as an identity, yeah, as something that can be like as a mantle. It's a person, right? His whole storyline with gore and and you know all of that. The, the three uh, Thors in different timelines, all of that, seems to treat Thor as, you know, the, he is the mythological Thor, he is an individual. The wielder of Mjolnir could have been anyone. And in fact, this is something that uh, uh, that Jason Aaron brings up, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a second, but it's like, you know, there have been other people who wielded the hammer. But when Beta Ray Bill had the hammer, he wasn't Thor. He was still Beta Ray Bill. Here, it's like, you know, I don't know who this woman is, but Calling her Thor strikes me as problematic simply because, A, it doesn't establish that he ha- she has an identity of her own. B, the Thor that she has taken the mantle from is still running around, and it's not like we're going to call him something different he's, now. He's, he's going to get a miniseries or something, no? Yeah, the unworthy, the, the Thor. unworthy Thor. But, I mean, okay, the unworthy Thor, he's still Thor, right? Despite not having the hammer, so, I mean, like, on well, the one hand... Well, you have, like, two Hawkeyes running around, and one of them is a man, and one of them is a woman, you know? They, yeah. They, they, they call... No, in, those in are the... code names. That's Kate and, and Clint Barton, right? Okay. Those are two separate characters. Here, it's like, you know, if you're making the argument that Thor is a mantle, then the person who has just lost that mantle should not be called Thor. But he's not Donald Blake because nobody, you know, he's nobody diet, likes that anymore. He's Diet Thor. He's unworthy Thor. It's he's, like Diet Thor, Thor Light, you know. And she's, you know, new Thor. Who's gonna call? Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, who's gonna call her new Thor? And like this, it, it runs counter to Jason Aaron's whole thing about how, like, you know, this is not she Thor no, or and, anything like yeah, that. And, this is Thor. And it's the thing Thor? again, and that would have worked fine if this was not the first issue, because. Yeah. The first issue should sort of address these things, and yeah. it doesn't. <clears throat> uh, on the good side, the art's really good. Uh, yes. Russell Dutterman. I love the design of, of, of the female Thor. Yeah. She looks amazing. And I like, you know, his version of the ice designs. You know, he sold the massiveness of that size. Yes. When you see the hand, and mm-hmm. and when he's doing the underwater scene, you have anglerfish. I always the love the sharks. Yeah. <laughs> sharks. Sure. You know, Aaron, you know, Aaron has this nice mood where he can balance. Uh, serious, you know, mythic seriousness with it's a crazy Marvel Universe yes. thing. You know, most people go either way, but he's like, on the one hand, it's a cosmic, you know, and everybody's saying thee and thou, and on the other hand, you know, rocks and have cyborg attack sharks. You sure? You know, why not? Why not? Which are fighting with frosties, which is ridiculous yeah. <laughs> in the right way. You know, superhero comics should be ridiculous. Sure. I mean, For- I, I've never really connected to Aaron before because. His sense of spectacle tends to come at the price of depth. Like, you know, you look at his uh, X-Men run, 
Yeah, I mean, the whole thing with the Hellfire Kids. It was, eh, yeah, there no. was this, you know, it was a bit too much, but I don't yeah. think it was too, too much. It was, you know, I, could, I bought into it, and I really liked uh, some of his stuff, you know. Uh, sorry, Astonishing Spider-Man Wolverine, which was just, you know, a roller coaster ride of ridiculousness. Right. Which did very well, and on the serious side, his other side miniseries from Vertigo, the Vietnam War mini, which he did with Cameron Stewart, was very good. Right. That I think that was the first big thing that he did. And okay. Southern Best is, I only read the first couple of issues, I'm waiting for the trade, but mm. it strikes me as that's that's the kind of series he wants to make, and he's very good at it. And I think he's a very good writer. Yeah, I mean, he's a great fit for <clears throat> Thor specifically. Yeah. I sort of lost interest in God of Thunder just because Gore was so annoying. But, I mean, he, he really did sort of get that balance between, on the one hand, you know, Thor should be having these bombastic adventures. Yeah. And on the other hand, you know... Yeah, even this unworthy Thor is, you know, riding on a goat under the sea, wielding sure. a giant axe. Sure. The, the look on that goat's face, you know, that's, <laughs> that's just me. It's like, yeah. I was just, I was having some hay, and then this guy jumps on me and drives me into the ocean... Like, I don't even know... That's like, a what, very bummed-out goat. Yeah, it's like, what What do you want from me? That Why am I here? That would be screen-captured and, you know... Sad goat. Yeah. Sure, sad, grumpy goat. Im, how do you That's say it? Emo gird? Emo, emo goat. Emo goat, yeah. Sure. Now, there is uh, one other feature of this issue that I want to draw attention to, and I mentioned it before. There's this... So, Jason Aaron responds to a very, very, very stereotypical, whiny fanboy letter. I don't like the letter simply... I don't like the fact that they printed it, because it's, it's to me... It's a softball. It's, yes, it's courting the controversy. Oh, see how good we are by responding to that bad... Yeah, bad. it's like, you know, Jason Aaron... Because this is the thing. Aaron makes a good point. He says, you know, it's not like replacing Thor is a new thing. You brought it up, yeah. like Eric Masterson, Thunderstrike, Beta Ray Bill, uh, uh, Thor Girl from, from yeah. Earth X or whatever. It's like, you know, this has happened before. There have been, I mean, I remember, like, issues of What If, where, like, Rogue became Thor, or, or like, Captain America's daughter became Thor. I don't even remember. There was all sorts of, like, you know, the idea has been out there for a while now. She's not the, she's the first woman. And the way that the letter is phrased, it's very clear that Aaron wants to show, like, you know, so this is a typical reaction, and here's why we're better. And it, it, it reads a, a little transparently. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's the old, you know, internet trope I'm quitting of, comics altogether because uh, Thor is now a woman. It's, See ya. I don't like it because it's the old internet trope of, you know, picking uh, responses from, you know, from the people you write to and then yeah. re- responding them on your on your stage, you know, it's not a dialogue, and he intentionally picked, you know, whoever picked, you yeah, know, no, picked, he, pick, he picked the picked wor- the softball. Yeah, he no, it's not the, the worst it's, one. It's not the worst one because we know they're on the internet. You know, there are uh, worse ones. There are yeah, one but who writes letters with, though? Filling with swears and and you know. But this is a letter, yeah. and it's a long letter. Like, and you know, I I would like to see him respond to you know somebody saying, well, what you're doing is a gimmick because I know that you're gonna bring back, you know. The older Thor in some How direction. can you bring him back? He's not going anywhere. Yeah. That's, that's like... I could almost give Aaron credit for sidestepping the problem of, like, you know... This is the thing. Because it's not like Death of Wolverine, where the first question you ask is, when is he coming back? Because here it's like, you know, the old Thor isn't going anywhere. So he does sort of sidestep that thing. Yeah. The question isn't, when is he coming back? It's, when will he be, quote-unquote, Worthy again. Yeah. Yeah. Also, by the way, let me ask you something, Tom. Yeah. 
theoretically speaking, if Chris Hemsworth were to be replaced by an actress, as you know, the new female Thor in the in the uh, Marvel movies, who would you choose? Who would well, you cast? I don't know because we don't know what that character is. I don't know what's you know what her, her character is. If it's supposed to be like an Amazonian, you know, beating stuff up Thor, I would say you know bring like Gina Carano or something. But if uh-huh. but if the point is that she's a gentler version, if she's smarter, then you know someone else. I, we can't, that we would be so stereotypical, though. I think Aaron it, it, knows that. Yeah, but the, the point is, we can't tell, you know, who's going to play the new Thor, because we haven't met... It's the end of yeah. Thor issue one. We don't know anything about the new Thor, other than the fact she's exi- she exists. Yes. I, I just want, like, you know, my, my fantasy casting for this is, like, you know, exit Chris Hemsworth, enter Gwendolyn Christie. Okay. Brienne from Game of Thrones. Uh, I do Seven not... foot tall. Give her the hammer. She will smash everything. Oh, okay. You know, she. I mean, have you? You know who she is? Uh, uh, I am aware of her existence. I am not watching this show. Okay, she's like the jolly blonde giant. I say yes. So um, that was Thor number one. You know, I I will say this. I'm gonna keep reading. Okay. This character intrigues me. I I'm praying that she doesn't get involved in by the character I crossover. assume by the character you mean I assume the goat the goat oh, the further I mean, you the... have to know what happens to the goat listen yes. you don't find out what happens to the goat yeah. right you know what happens to Thor you know what happens to Freya you know what happens it's, to Odin it's, you it's the new star it's like you know that Morrison's bad cow <laughs> <laughs> that's what the you know um, forget about Damien everybody loves the bad cow the, the goat is actually villain of the arc. You're not going to find this out until like issue 20, because Aaron knows how to foreshadow, but it's going to be like, you, know, you find out that after years of abuse, he finally had enough and became like, you know, the god of... Kicking uh, things. Of kicking, yeah, the, the god of, of boots or, or whatever. And now female Thor must, you know, bring him down for the good of Asgard. Better than the serpent. The goat is better than the oh, serpent. Oh god. But anything is better than the serpent, you know. like so, the, the cockroach god of fear would have been better than the uh, serpent. So I'll keep to... reading. Are, are you going to... I'm gonna give, I think I'm going to give it a shot. Okay. Uh, DC? DC. This was one we were waiting for and we had opposite yeah. responses for. Oh, yeah. Okay. You go first. Uh, no, give us the details. Oh, okay. Well, uh, we're talking about Gotham Academy number one. Yeah. Uh, written by Becky Cloonan and Brendan Fletcher. Art by Carl Preschel. Uh, I picked up this issue because I'm always on the lookout for projects on the quote-unquote, margins of the DCU. Because I think that's where the most interesting things happen. Yeah, when they when when people aren't trying to be Jim Lee uh, clones doing generic, yeah. generic superhero things. Yeah, like, you know, this is not a Future's End tie-in. It's not New 52. Yet. It's not Multiversity. Oh, God, don't, don't. Gotham but, Academy Future's End number one. Ain't nobody got time for that. But, um... So, like, I'm always on the lookout for those projects, and I mean, I will be checking out uh, Gotham by uh, Gotham by Ga- Midnight. Gaslight. No? No, Gotham no, by Gaslight. That was in Elseworlds. Mike Mignolia miniseries. Yeah, no, we're talking about, uh, I think it's uh, Gotham, Gotham by Midnight. Midnight. Yeah, yeah uh, the uh, Sam Temple Smith. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll be checking that out, too, because, you know, anything that works on the margins could ben potentially... Ben Sorry. Ben Templeson. What Not did I say? Sam. Whoops. Who, okay, well, I don't know who that is, but uh, whoever it is, I hope you enjoyed the shout-out. Uh, so, yeah, so I decided to pick up Gotham Academy number one. And so did you, Tom. Yeah. And the <laughs> so, plot takes place in the Gotham Academy, which is, yeah, it's sort of a boarding school for mostly privileged kids, so it appears. And we have two major characters, one called Silverlock, yeah. which, you know, she has a silvery hair. 
So, you know, comic book names. Gotham, ladies and gentlemen. And another nicknamed Maps, because she likes to draw Maps. Sure. Her name isn't Maps. Thank thank God for that. That's <laughs> too that would be a little too much. That's too on the nose. And they sort of have to explore the school. You know, that's Maps' first day, and Silverlock is their sort of guide. And they knew each other before because Silverlock was dating... Her brother. Maps' brother. Yeah. Who is also introduced in this issue. Yeah. And, and we learn throughout the issue, A, that there are secrets in the school, because Gotham, mm-hmm. obviously... And that Silverlock has some sort of a connection to Batman, mm-hmm. which is not positive. Right. Uh, we can, so, you know... He actually appears in this issue yeah, as, uh, Bruce as Bruce Wayne, Wayne Bruce keynote Wayne. speaker. Yeah. Uh, okay. we, we can sort of, you know, assume what the connection is from, you know, from reading it. It's what not, it? It's not very well hidden. He probably arrested, you know, her father or something like that. Her father was probably oh. a criminal or something, and he arrested her. Because she's on the Wayne Foundation scholarship. Yeah. And so. he's, you know, funding her scholarship, so she won't go her father's way or something. Right. I assume. Maybe it's something completely different. Okay. And this issue is basically a character introduction. Mm-hmm. Unlike Thor number one, we actually learn to know, <laughs> you know, all of the We actually characters. see the Academy, like, yeah. in the first issue. Yeah. yeah. And the girls in it. And the girls go out and explore and encounter a little trouble, not villain trouble, just, you know, structural problems. Right. And that's basically it. Yeah. And, well, first thing, I really like the art, which surprised me because, you know, you have Becky Cloning... Clunan writing and not drawing, and mm. for me, that's like, but I wanted Becky Clunan to draw this, obviously, but no, Carol Kershaw uh, does a great job here. Yeah. And it's a sort of a strange job because the character design is anime influenced, not manga anime. Intentionally so. Yes. Very soft, you know, features and a bit of cartoonishly exaggerated faces and such. Mm-hmm. But the backgrounds are American comics, photorealistic, you know, gothic. Right. So that's very strange and I like that. And he has some very nice, you know, spreads and pages, you know, the double page of showing up the whole academy with shots from the windows, showing what every character is doing. While she's talking to Maps, who is, of course, filling this out. Yeah, and the spinning uh, page when they go up the stairs, Mm -hmm. the stairwell, that's very nice. And I like that the characters are well-defined, you know, you learn what they are. I like that there's a mystery. And I like the mood of the thing, which is a sort, you know, it's Harry Potter for the Batman universe. And it combines two things that I sort of like. Okay, and now your rebuttal, sir. Well, here's the thing. Like, you call it Harry Potter for the Batman universe. The reason that that I don't agree with that analogy at all is because Harry Potter, on the surface of it, has some kind of exceptional quality that is immediately apparent, right? It is a school for wizards. Yeah. This issue reads pretty much like every single girl-goes-to-boarding-school story that I have ever read, especially in comics. But with Batman. Well, I mean, well, that's part of my complaint, and actually, this connects to what I was saying about, you know, my my long-winded tangent on Gotham, is that, like, you know, it doesn't use the setting. This is a boarding school in Gotham City. You would think that there would be some kind of abnormality. No, but they're talking about it, and they're not jumping the gun, I think, you know, that... With the characters... Like, why could this not have... I mean, but I would have... We get it. We why? get it, you know, because Silverlock has an history with Batman. So, that doesn't necessarily and a say... a very dark history, apparently, you know, because uh, she just imagines that he's there outside and she's freaking she, out. Yeah, but, I mean... And, like, she sees the, the bat signal four times a day and it pisses yeah. her off. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. But it's like... 
there's no there's no attempt to use Gotham as a setting in a way that would have influenced his boarding school. Like if you didn't know that this took place in Gotham, and if you take out like that one appearance of Batman and the Bat Signal. And the bat no, Several I mean like times. remove that element, right? Take Batman out of this story. But you can't it reads exactly the same. But why? Uh, he doesn't have a central role here. Which was the reason that he, I picked it up in the first place. He has a shadow. It's under Where the shadow. Where is the shadow? Like over yeah. over if, over Oliver. If this school was, for example, uh, I'm just like throwing this out there as a high concept, right? If this had been, say, you know, a boarding school for children of supervillains that Batman has defeated, then it's like, okay, there's a tangential connection. Then it would have been Avengers Academy. Uh, well, you know, Avengers Academy was good, but was good. You know, but it's its own thing. And yeah, but I mean, here, but the, the connection isn't strong enough to. It's like on the one hand they're leaning on it because it's Gotham Academy, right? And and there's repeated mentions of like you know the Silverlock has some kind of connection to Batman, and that there's you know ghosts and stuff, and whatever you know. But we don't. How is that different from any other girl goes to haunted boarding school story well, that I hey, read? If it's done well enough. I don't care, you know. I don't read a lot of, you know, girls goes to, to boarding school, so I wouldn't know. As far as I'm concerned, that's a very good introduction for that kind of genre. You know the webcomic uh, Gunner Creek Court? Yeah. Okay. Did that not remind you of this? A bit. Okay, so it's like... But Gunner Creek Court was, is a lot, you know, intentionally weirder and magical and... Because it's not Gotham City. Yeah. Like, here, at the, the sense that I get here is that, like, on the one hand... You want the city to be... Because, like, there's no... It's not like Silverlock is going to be turning up in Batman Eternal, right? Hopefully. Hopefully not. Right? This is supposedly a self-contained story. The The problem with that is, you know, it may be too self-contained. Because it, it, without any real connection, like, metahumans or, or superpowers or anything like that, it does read, like, sort of a standard, you know, girl drama story. And on that level, it doesn't offer anything different. Because, like, what do we have then? We have... Silverlock as, you know, the troubled girl with the mysterious past, Courtney Crummer in anybody, yeah. right? We have her friend who's quirky and, and sort of like has that thing where, you know, too, everybody calls her Maps. Too happy-go-lucky. Uh... Yeah, you know, we have the ex-boyfriend who, you know, the, the romance that didn't quite work out, but they still have feelings for each other. And, you know, we have the uh, Silverlock's mysterious past, well, which will, of course, so be what you're revealed. saying, it's very generic. It I, is. I, and I think the thing for me is, I don't know the genre well enough to be okay. offended that by the genericness. It. That might be it. It's like I was I came to this project and hoping that Becky Coonan would do something different and, and like And I don't have problems with genre works that do their genre well and as far as I can see, that does it very well and yeah. you know it's it tries a bit too hard to be delightful. But it's I don't know delight- if you call it delightful. I mean the the, the the design of the design. academy is so like creepy and gothic. Oh, it's, 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 fun, it's fun, creepy. I think it's not. Yeah. it's not terrifying. Creepy. I mean, it's not Hogwarts. Is the thing. You well, know? well, I don't want another Hogwarts. I'm tired of Hogwarts. Before. So am I. But it's like I was tired of it by the end of the fifth Harry Potter book. You know. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I just I was hoping for a twist because. You're gonna give it a shot, you know. No. See, no. I'm not well, I'm gonna give it a shot, and if there's a twist, I'm gonna Let tell me know. you, and then you'll be spoil like, away. I mean, I, this is the thing. Like, I got to the end of this issue. And She's like, the real Joker's daughter. Oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> oh, no. See that? This is the thing. Joker's daughter. That requires a tacit acknowledgement that the Joker has sex. Joker having okay, sex. Okay, no. let's let's do the our last like, number one for today. Yeah, is a um, new image number one because there's always woo! a new image number one. Yeah, although, listen, really, really, I have to... 
I, I say this every podcast because it's true. Like I'm always I'm always welcoming like new image projects because you know it, 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 there's it's something that is new that is self-contained that is not going to require me to read eighty other books in order to understand it. The story will probably be finite. You know, it's like I, I always enjoy these things. Although you know, it's I have to acknowledge that image number ones can be hit and miss. You know, like this one. Like this one. Uh, Roche Limit? Yes. Ro- Roche Limit? I think it's Roche Limit. Yeah. Roche uh, Limit number one. By Mor- Mor- Morsi? Michael Morecki. <laughs> Morsi. Uh, Michael Morecki and uh, uh, Vic Malhotra on art. Okay. Mm. And the plot is there's this place in space called Roche Limit, which yes. is sort of a colony space station. On the edge of a spatial fly- anomaly. Yeah, flying around some sort of a technobabble spatial anomaly. Mm-hmm. And in this place there's corruption. Yeah. Crime. And one woman has to... Oh my god, it's 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 the other comic <laughs> review last week. without it's the Copperhead. Cow- well, without the cowboys and the fun and the fun aliens. Well, it's there the- is a difference in that she... Like, Sonia, the, the protagonist here, is... She has come to Roche Limit for a specific purpose, right? She wants to find her sister. Um, so it's not like, I mean, in Copperhead, presumably Ferber's idea is that she has to stay yeah. on Copperhead and, like, you know, be the law. And here Sonia's just like, you know, she hooks up with this drug dealer who wants to help her find her sister. And Yeah, but she's uh, not going to leave. It's not going to be, like, the end of the third issue. Well, we're finished. We're going to go. Well, that depends on what this... This is the thing. Like, this issue doesn't do a good job of establishing what we should be expecting going forward. Yeah, and it's odd because there's a lot of, you know, introduction and talking yeah, There are on. a lot of things here that don't connect to anything else. Like, the, the issue begins with what seems to be an execution. Yeah. Somebody is, like, thrown, thrown into the, the sun or something. From the airlock. Yeah, it's not... Into, like, I, I, there's no... There doesn't seem to be any connection between that and what happens with Sonia. But then also the no, last... No, no, wait. It's not actually... It's not an execution because they're actually putting a helmet on him. Her. But they're throwing him into, like, the energy. It's uh, supposed to be an explorer, I think. If he is, I don't it's think... A, it's a bad job. No, yeah. O'Shea complains... Unless he's explore, uh, Like, unless he's specifically exploring at what point human flesh cooks, I don't think that that experiment worked. That's but, a worthy <laughs> experiment. <laughs> I don't But then, um... And then, but also, the last issue of... Uh, uh, the last page of this issue... Uh, it, it seems to be something completely... Like, it's a different scene, yeah. different characters... They're looking at this glowing orb that just sort of appeared out of nowhere. I I don't understand like what what does that have to do with anything? It doesn't seem at all related yeah, to, to and Sonia. It, it's a sort of a generic, you know, it's a mystery, read the next issue to know, but we've had too many of those Let's not see. in comic books, in serialized fiction in general. No 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 no. Too, no, much, but... too much is built on, you know, what is it rather than what you're seeing than what you're what you want to see? We have had this problem with image specifically, yeah. right? We, I mean, Copperhead was more interesting for what it promised than what it delivered in the first. Wayward, issue. we talked about Wayward. Wayward had the same problem. The names had the same problem. Like it's it's guys do things with your number ones. Come on, yeah. but I mean, and really, the, the 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 most damning thing about this issue is that I mean, I, I mentioned this before we started recording, but this issue reminded me of Sovereign. That's not a good thing. Sovereign, like Sovereign, wins the the twenty fourteen award for most incomprehensible comic, as far as I'm concerned. Because like I I read all five issues twice. That was how desperate. Because like 
on the surface of it, it sounded so interesting. Like these three storylines in this original fantasy realm that may be connected in a way that you don't necessarily see. And following all those plotlines, and I got to issue five the second time, and I'm like, okay. I'm looking for something that isn't there. I'm looking for, like, sense and for meaning and for, like, the, 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 the coin to drop, so to speak. And it ain't happening, because it ain't here. So design-wise, this is obviously Hickman influence. You yeah. can see it in the cover and in the colony maps, you know, spreadsheet. Yeah, I mean the backstory is interesting to an extent, but it's not enough. You know, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking somebody when he when somebody reviewed Pacific Rim, the movie, they said the backstory of the movie would have been a more interesting movie than yeah. the movie. You know, true. Develop, you know, watching all this build up and develop is more interesting than it's a murder. You know kidnapping, drug-dealing mystery in space. It's just, yeah. you've took a regular mystery and you put it in space, that doesn't make it inter- more interesting right. than any other, you know, 1,000 countries. was the same problem that The Fuse had. Anthony Johnson's The Fuse was also like a murder mystery set on a space station, but it's like, well... And it's like, a murder mystery set on a space station. Yeah, and, and through the murder mystery, you're like introduced to the setting. Yeah, and, and if it's not, and if you're not going to do it, you know, an interesting space station, if it's not going to be, you know, Here's the troubles about living in space. If it's just, you know, they have artificial gravity and food and everybody hangs around wearing, you know, regular Earth clothing, you know, yeah. what's the difference? It, what's really weird here is, like, I mean, th- there is a very clear, you know, there's a, a, a news article that's attached at the end yeah. that talks about, like, you know, how this colony was founded and how it degenerated and, and all that. And it's like, that could potentially be interesting, but it has nothing to do with anything that happens in the A-plot. So yeah. I don't, you know, it's not like, uh, um, I'm trying to think of like a parallel here where they give you information about the world separate from the A-plot, but it's still relevant. Uh, my head is going to like video games, but that, that doesn't help I, us I'm thinking about Black Science. I think it's because, you know, the interesting thing is very difficult to work through because you're going to have to do a lot of research about, you know, building and making the science seem probable and I don't think the probability of, of like the science is important or like the plausibility is so writing Technobabble like, you know, is takes talent you know Warren Ellis was pretty much the only one doing it right for a lot of time well we're going to see an example of that shortly but yeah. uh, uh, I mean for Roche Limit specifically I think this is another one where you may want to consider waiting for the trade or specifically waiting for reviews of the trade because you know I'm Not looking at this up, issue though. No, no, we got better things to do. But I mean, I, I I might come back and look at it as a completed arc. But to be completely honest, I mean, Sonia doesn't. This is the thing. Like when all else fails, look for characters, right? This could have been the most generic thing in the world, and this is actually this was the same problem that I had with Gotham Academy, right? Like I, it can be the most generic thing in the world, but if the character is endearing enough, you can sort of. Make the excuse and, and keep reading. And in fact, like I brought up Courtney Crumrin as a comparison. Yeah. That's like the most generic premise in the world, right? Little girl shows up to her uh, uh, old uncle who turns out to be like a warlock yeah. and whatever. But I mean, she is such an interesting character from the I, very I, first I page. I tried Courtney Crumrin and I, I loved had, it. I had a problem with the art, which was weird. Yeah, the art is really weird. It's weird. And like, it just, it's super it's, deformed. Yeah, and it stopped me from getting into it because I was like, okay, I like where this is going, but whenever you know, you actually see the characters, I'm like, what they're doing there... Yeah. There is some Minola influence right? later, though. Well, that's good, but yeah. there's a difference between being as good as Minolia and being yeah. Minolia influenced. influenced. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, it, this is the thing. Like, that book, the, the idea of that book is so played out, and yet, 
she, like, uh, Ted Neife makes an effort to make her, you know, appealing and, and, and distinct and, like, you know, interesting. So it's like, you know, it's worth following the story just for her. Here, I'm like, Sonia doesn't have that much to her. She's the the drug dealer she partners with is more interesting than she yeah, is. Yeah, she, she's a tough girl, you know. Yeah, like, she's a cop. Gal, yeah. She's not happy to be on Roche, and, and, but she's and, looking for her And sister. we have the gangster characters, and one of them is, you know, generic evil Russian. Uh-huh. Seriously, a, gene- a generic <laughs> evil Russian. And In have, space! Yeah, and we have the woman who's very angry that someone's attacking women. Yeah. Oh, and, and she's implied to be like a, a pimp. Yeah, she's like which, the, the so you know my, you're hurting my girls. Is her yeah, unpacking that would take hours. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's 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 not one of Image's better uh, first issues. If it, if this thing came out, you know, like ten years ago, it was oh sure. that's a that's a very interesting thing. Image, you're doing that yeah. right now since it's coming out. Now, well, don't forget what Image was actually doing ten years ago. So this would have been a revelation no, for no, that. Ten years ago, that would have been you know starting of Image Central. So that's that's. That's probably the best time for a series like that. Right now, this is... Uh, you're, you're forgetting how old we are. Ten years ago, it's not 99, it's 2004. Oh, so old! So, uh, ten years... So, and right now, it's it's another, you know, science fiction as a procedural series, which right. we have a lot of from... Yeah. Specifically from Image, and not specifically from everybody else. Yeah, I, I give Image all the credit in the world for trying to be original, for, for like, you know, pushing for as many distinct and unconnected and, you know, self-contained stories, um, maybe do a little bit more, like, make a little more effort to give each of your books, like, some kind of distinguishing quality right from the first issue, because, you know, Copperhead, I was, I'm willing to keep reading because... It's fun, please. It's fun, and, like, that angle of, like, you know, the Western science fiction might go somewhere interesting. Here, it's more like, eh, you know, it, it doesn't really have that quality that, that sets it apart. I don't see any difference yeah. between this It's not it's not bad, you know. It's not like no. it's not incompetent, it's well drawn. No, but it's 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 you, not, you're, you know, it's not confusing. You get what no. they're doing. It's just it's mediocre. Yeah. And in some ways for a reviewer Image has raised the bar too high and for mediocre to be accepted. And I think for in some ways for a reviewer, mediocre is worse than bad because you know, when there is a suffering bad you can talk about it. Yeah. Mediocre it's like S- Savage Critics used to have that rating, meh. Yeah. That about sums it up. Like, you know, meh, you know, I read it. Wow. Okay, and I think we're going to finish with a Our book coll- review. Yes, a collection. Review. And that's one also from Image, and it's yes. also in space, but it's very good. Now, this is how you do it properly. You chose it. You'll, I you'll, chose it. I will introduce it. I love this book so much. This is a first volume of Egos. Uh, written by Stuart Moore, who, as it turns out, is not the Stuart Moore I thought it was, because I assumed that it was the Stuart Moore who wrote uh, uh, Rachel Rising. No, that's Terry Moore. That's Terry Moore. That, that's the thing. I, I, there's I get, too many Moores. We talked many, about too, this. There's, we, need, we don't need no more more. That, uh, no more Moores. <laughs> no more Moores. Now, that would have been something for the Scarlet Witch to say at the end of House of M, right? <laughs> no more Moores. But then we wouldn't have Treadmore. Who? The guy who draws all new Ghost Rider. He's a great artist. Oh. The new artist. Uh, that's the sacrifice we have to make to for me to make sense of these moors. But anyway, Stuart the Moore, artist. Artist is Gus Storms. Tom, I'm gonna say something that will make steam come out of your ears. This okay. is Grant Morrison done right. Um, oh, viewers! I wish you could see the look on his face right no, now. No, there's, ah! there's no steam because I just I don't see it as a Grant Morrison done right. I see it as a 1980s science fiction done right, and that's not a Grant Morrison thing. When we reviewed Multiversity. 
the thing that I... Wait, wait, let's talk about, you know, introduce the plot and the characters for uh, the reason. Oh, okay, so sort of generally speaking. Yeah. All right. Well, how can I... <laughs> the Eagles... The Eagles are a team of superheroes who are in operating... Space. In space. Who are uh, uh, operating on behalf of uh, EarthGov, this, you know, the uh, Earth government. Uh, dealing with extraterrestrial uh, threats, defending a very large uh, swath of outer space yeah, that belongs to humanity. It's in the future, so it's like yeah. it's Legion of Superheroes, or somebody mentioned... Much smaller. Yeah, somebody mentioned the, the other image series, I think, The Victories by Michael Evan Oming, which is basically superheroes in the future in space. Never read it. It got some good reviews, so... Oh, I'll check it out. Okay. Um, so, uh, uh, now, this group... Uh, was very active about uh, 10 years ago, I think is the time frame in the story. And uh, uh, we pick up in the present day, so to speak, you know, in the future, uh, where only two of the original members uh, are still on the team. Everyone else has sort of gone their own way. And the story begins with uh, a character who does forensic deduction on a planetary scale. It's called the Planetarian. <laughs> and like his ability is to look at a planet... And do the whole Sherlock Holmes, you know, analysis yeah. of deducing uh, uh, things that happen. And that sort of weird, uh, uh, unusual, unconventional approach is why I say this is Morrison done right. But, I mean, uh, b- before we get to that, just sort of like... Okay, I, I, can, I can see that because Morrison had the thing about taking superheroes to the nth level, you know. Yeah. You know, if somebody says, you know, regular Superman can lift a car or shit, Morrison, like, he's supporting the weight of the continents, he's lifting planets, you sure. know. No, but thing. also in terms of, like, um, unusual abilities. Okay. Like, um, I'm trying to think, who, who would be the weirdest Grant Morrison villain to, or like hero to, to what, have like the, powers. The, the, the weirdest the, power. Oh, uh, Doom Patrol. Yeah. Oh, the, da, the Brotherhood of Dada. Yeah. Right? That kind of, like the, the, the character who has every superpower you haven't thought, thought of. of yeah. You know, so that that's the sort of thing. And here, like, you know, there's a character whose power is to unlock things, including people from the inside. Ooh, yeah. yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's just great. And I mean, why do I say this is Morrison done right though? Because... You have the high concepts, right? You have the science fiction-y uh, sort of pulp heroics. You have the the, the big ideas. You know, the, the the villain of this story is an evil sentient galaxy. Yeah. Mass. And yeah. He, the way that he's introduced is brilliant because there's this guy running around, like, you know, blowing things up. And everyone is like, Mass is back. Mass is back. And the narrator, who is the son of the protagonist of the story, the, the, the sort of sardonic narrator, is going... Oh, so this guy who's shooting lasers, you probably think he's mass. No, 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 no. That's mass. And then yeah. the panel cuts to like this gigantic, uh, 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 galaxy that's approaching. It's, it's funny and it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. But I mean, these are high concepts that you could find in a Morrison book. But tell me, tell me, po- just a point. Yeah. When has the son of the protagonist doing the commentary in the future thing become a trope because we have it in this in Saga, saga and, and in uh, Spread, spread. <laughs> right? Well, that's a very specific plot point, and it's it in three image books. Although, to be fair, in Egos, at least like he is grown up. It's not in the future. Like yeah. he is actually there, and he's like sequestered away uh, somewhere, smoking a bong and, and laughing. They're at his all parents. in the future. See? Yeah, so I'm part right. But it's, no, it's like uh, um, because Hope, uh, her name's Hope, right? Yeah. In, in uh, Saga, she's narrated. No, sorry, in the Spread. Wow, I'm getting all the babies yeah. confused. <laughs> what was the name of the daughter in Saga? How I, can I not remember this? I love I, this book. I don't remember. Faith? No. No, no. it's not It's not a generic, you know... Never mind, never mind. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. But anyway, so like the babies are narrating the story 
from the future, so they foreshadow, like, events that are coming. Here, the son is just, like, sitting there going, like, you know, well, great work, Dad. I saw that happen. <laughs> nice job. But, um, here's the thing, though. Like, I, I'm harping on this point because I had so much trouble with multiversity. And the, the, the trouble that I had with multiversity was characters. And I made the argument back then that, like, you know, Morrison does not do well with characters. Here, I love every single person in this book. Like, the, 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 Deuce, the, the main, uh, the, the leader, the leader of, the of the egos, is a narcissistic jackhole who he, is, like, fundamentally flawed, and, and you're disgusted with him at first, and then, like, you see how damaged yeah, he the, is. The first issue, uh, Twist, which kind of was the hook of the series, mm. is one of those great, you know, last pages reveals. Yes. That's Thor number one. That's how you do a last page reveal. Yep. And it, and but, I mean, we're again, not gonna spoil it. Because we won't spoil it, but we will say, like, again... Look at how it how it relates. The reason that that twist is so effective is because it feeds directly into another character. Like she, uh, Pixel, uh, Deuce's wife, has this huge emotional reaction to the twist for a reason that's made that's very you know completely apparent in the story. Yeah, it's an emotional moment. It's a character moment for yeah. her. So yeah. it's it's like twist. It's a is an excellent plot twist because you don't see it coming. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's also like it's a plot twist that has. Impact it has gravity, and the, you know the first arc is just the first three issues, which is very short. Four, isn't it? No, oh, uh, the fourth issue. The is fourth sort of issue unrelated. is something is sort of an aftermath thing. Yeah, and in the in those three issues, you get a lot of twists and turns. You know, you start off the first issue on the first page, and oh, it's going like that. It's generic space superheroes. Yeah, and then comes the last page. You know, oh, it's completely different space yeah. superheroes. And then you open up the second issue, and it's like oh, it's completely different from that kind of different space superheroes. And by the third issue, they fooled you again. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I love here is when you compare it to Roche Limit, for example, right? Yeah. So in the first issue, we're introduced to Shara, right? The, the little girl who will end up, uh, you know, uh, a big part of the story. But, like, you know, she is introduced in the first issue, but it's very clear that she's going to have a part to play. So you're not left thinking, like, I don't understand, you know, what the deal is with her. You're left thinking something's going to happen here. Yeah. Something big. And it's just, it's a fantastic book. Yeah, and there's a, lot, there's a lot of clever ideas and concepts, you yeah. know. Your mother-in-law is a super villain. <laughs> and yeah, th- that's another good thing about this universe feels like it has a history. Yes. It's what, you know, the original Star Wars did so right, where you came into that universe and you have, there's this remaining of the old guard, and there mm. was war, Clone Wars in the past, and things hinted at through dialogue and, you know, art that illustrates to you that this is a universe that has been lived in. It's not just the first issue, oh, this universe has been formed for that first issue. Right. And you can almost imagine someone in the future if that series is successful enough doing, you know, the previous egos. Yeah. It's also, I mean, that's the thing. There are distinct connections that we're constantly seeing between the current egos and the past egos. Not just through Deuce, who, you know, his son, the narrator, is so sarcastic towards him, but also acknowledges that, like, you know, Deuce is really screwed up. He's like, he's the Robin who became Jason Todd, basically, on a completely, you know, different, different level. scale. And, and like, on the, you, you have uh, Norman, who's constantly breaking down. And, I, I, I really love the character names, like, the robot in the team is called Godel. Godel. Which I mean, is a great name, and yeah. he has that sarcastic, 
not bender, but almost like, you know... He's I'm, getting there. Are you a robot? I'm a thinking, I'm a thinking being. Can you tell the difference? I like the Supreme Court. That's a <laughs> he's great... a snarky robot. I <laughs> yeah. love it. Yeah. And I mean... Everybody you know, loves a snarky yeah. robot. But that's the thing. Like Every single character here is endearing in some way. Even, you know what, I'm going to like take the leap here and say even Mass does not turn out... He's not Galactus. You yeah. think he's Galactus at first, but then it turns out to be something completely different. Yeah. It's a tragedy. Rather yeah. Than, uh, evil... Which, you know, here's... It's a... Uh, let's talk about the art of it. Yeah, the art is phenomenal. It's... Yeah, I think the problem is that for a lot of people, it lacks flash. It's very, you know... It's it's old-fashioned in a way. It's yeah. not... You know, it's not one of those bright and super colorful, and everybody's toned out. It's more of a cartoony thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a problem for the book sales-wise, because people are going to look at it and think, what is it? You know, it looks strange. It looks like a Marvel comics escaping from the 1980s. I don't know if I go that far, though. It's it, not... It, it's good. It's good, but... No, but also, it, it doesn't have, like, sort of the, the conformity of style okay, that you yeah. would expect from, like, something that came out of the 1980s. I mean, you look I at I have no the, idea who this guy is. Gus, Gus Storms? Never heard of it. I've never I, seen I him do I think it's his book. first work. If so... Welcome to Image. May you reign for many, many years. Yeah, and Stuart Moore is the surprise here because he has a lot of history. You know, you look at his, uh, at his page, you know, he wrote a lot of stuff, but it's all, you know, small fry and mostly yeah. adaptations and continuations. And, and I, I wasn't prepared for that. This, I mean, I, I speaking as like a reader, you know, top to bottom, I enjoyed this book so much. On, on, like, every level. You know, I, I enjoyed, you know, the, the dynamic between the different characters, you know, uh, the whole relationship between Deuce and Pixel, right? The fact that they're stuck in this marriage and they can't really get out of it. And you have, like, you know, these these uh, um, clones who are trying to, on the one hand, assert their identity and, on the other hand, like, dismiss their previous identity. It's like, you know, I'm who I want to be or, or, or all of that. You know, there are all of these things going on and they're all managed so well. Yeah, you mentioned Saga. Yeah, and somebody said, I always mention Saga. Yeah. Every single what, podcast what, now, somebody, I mention Saga. Somebody once said, once, you know, like millions of years ago. <laughs> it's been running for 23 issues. Yeah. Uh, somebody said, I think it's from the South Critics also, that what makes Saga so good is that Brian K. Vaughn got down to business on the three-page structure, which is every three pages, something happens, which yes. almost shifts your view. And it's like that in Egos. It's not just at the end of the issue, there's a... <gasps> It's like every couple of pages, there's a... <gasps> yeah. Well, I mean, listen, Brian, Like, if there is one person in the industry that knows how to do good cliffhangers, it's Brian Vaughn, because you end every issue being like, no! <laughs> and I mean, to, but the thing that he does, and I think also um, Stuart Moore does it here really, really well, is he knows how to play with the reader's expectations. For example, the, the current arc in Saga, I, I, I haven't read it yet because I read it in arcs, but... Uh, I know that it begins with uh, 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 the baby, like the, the future narrator, who I cannot believe that I can't remember her name. Hang on, I, I need to look this up because it will. Haunt Alana me. or something? No, Alana is the wife. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, Marco is the father, but I mean, God, are you kidding me? How can I not remember the name of the daughter? Hazel. 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 Okay. Hazel starts the arc by saying, "This is the story of how my parents split up." At the end, like that, that seems to set the tone, right? That that's a foreshadowing that seems to go forward. But when you get to the end, it's like you know, this is a story of how my my parents split up. She didn't mean splitting up romantically. She means they're actually physically separated by a se- sequence of events that has 
so, uh, that's a, that's getting into like the whole description of Saga storyline. Never mind. But like you know, so that co- kind of misdirection more does it in egos too, right? Like that that bait and switch with Mass, and also the fact that like at first you think that Deuce's son is narrating this at some point later on. So when he's talking about like the egos confronting Mass, right? You, he says, you know, ah, I'm I'm betting on the galaxy. It seems like he he's saying that from like a point of knowledge. And in fact, no, he's just like this college guy sitting in his dorm, you know, lighting up and, and just talking, you know, about his, his type A mother and his narcissistic father. So I like that kind of, you know, that, that trick. I, I, I enjoyed the twists and I, I, my only complaint about this book is that issue four came out, I think like in June. Well, and Image issue five is coming out in February. Well, Image is doing it right now, which is you know do the arc and make stop you, for usually the usually they take a, a month off. Here it's like it's been gone for about half a year, and dude, I need more. I need more. This well, is not enough. I have small complaints, which is the art is good on the character pieces. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it sells the massive scale of things enough because you have that moment where mass actually interacts with the characters, and that's you know you can't sell the scale of a galaxy talking to a person, but It's, well, he has a face. Yeah, but it's just, it's too small. It's just, it doesn't feel like a galaxy. For a moment I was reading it and I was thinking, so it's just like a mini galaxy and there's mini planets inside it? Yeah. No, it's supposed to be huge. And I'm, there, there, there are some scale issues. Yeah. But I mean, I, I can... And if you're gonna, uh, no, and if you're going to do a superhero in space and everything's going to be massive, you know, the fourth issue has... Giant, it has actual universes <laughs> by the characters. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to have to you go scale up you know sure it's it's great on the character pieces I love the designs I love the interactions you know this the faces are very simple but very expressive yeah so you know as far as I'm concerned I mean the fourth issue ends on, on like this really poignant note and the art really gets it yeah gets it well right he, um, pixels suspects that her mother is dying And, uh, you know, he just, he looks at this picture of her and he remembers, like, you know, everything that Replica did, uh, Replica being the, 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 mother. the mother-in-law, right, the supervillain. And he's just like, just die already, let her go, just, just die, please die. And it, it's such a human moment because, like, how yeah. many of us have wished for our mother's And at that point, die. it would have been very easy to just make us hate Deuce as a character. He was supposed to, you know, in, in a simpler title, in a stupider title, he would have been, you know, the asshole being pushed away at the end of the first arc yeah. for a new leader but here it's no this is who we have we yeah. have to live with him he's with all of his all of them are flawed you know nobody's nobody's like the naive newcomer completely perfect without right. issues even Shara who's like she is treated as sort of the newbie but it's, she's not the focal yeah right the story is not being told through her perspective and when we do meet her she has her problems and yeah. issues nobody's perfect mm-hmm Which I appreciate. So, so, Egos, as far as I'm concerned, is a very pleasant surprise. Yeah. I, Stuart Moore, you're great. Absolutely. Got Storm, bright future. Well done on both of you. Uh, uh, please work faster is the <laughs> only request that I have. Like, I mean, I don't know what you guys are doing, other th- but like, there is no way that your other books can be as good as this one. Please drop all your other books, get back to work. So that was episode number three of The yep. Smorgasbord. I am Tom Shapira. And I'm Sean Edry. And until next time, read some good comics. See ya.